Hey everyone, and welcome to The Seed. We are changing over to a new podcast show that is more reflective of where I am in life. Ironically, The Seed was planted by every guest that I had on my Homes and Hops podcast. So listen in, subscribe, and comment on my new monthly podcast, The Seed, which stems from Dandelion Discussions, all about women empowerment, entrepreneurship, and objectives that are often planted in us. Our guest stories are here to inspire, educate, and most importantly, to let you know you are not alone. We are here today with Agnes. Hey, Agnes. So Agnes is the program coordinator and facilitator at the House of Shine. All around rock star. Yes. And I had the pleasure of hanging out with, with Agnes over the summer when it was over 100 degrees in Grapevine, Texas, as she certified me in Shineology. Yeah, so we are, I am with the House of Shine, and we are, like Lisa just said, located in Grapevine, Texas. And our whole mission and purpose is to help people learn more about who they are and why they matter, and how to use that information to contribute back to their corner of the world or their community. Which is absolutely amazing and something that I 100% am on board with and am passionate about myself. So one thing I've noticed on on the House of Shine website, Mm -hmm. um, you guys don't just like have a typical biography of who you are. You stay true to the mission of the House of Shine's purpose. And you list off all the fun tests and different strengths and everything. So your strengths were from, this is the Gallup Clifton strengths test. Yes. It was positivity, mm-hmm. input, includer, futuristic, and ideation. Yep. Have you taken the strengths finder test before, Lisa? I did. I did. Oh, what are yours? So I am focused. Oh, no, I'm not. (laughs) That's ironic. (laughs) It's part of my 10, but it's not my top five. Um, I am input ideation. I want focus to be my top five. Ideation, achiever, command, and deliberative. Oh, we share two of the same. I know. I know. I love that. It's fun. Which one's your favorite? I relate the most to futuristic, actually. Oh, um, I always thought that that should be more number one. I don't know if people see it so much on the outside, but in my head, I'm so I like, I am constantly, um, thinking about the future, not just for myself, but also for kind of the roles that I'm in or even the house of shine. Yeah. Um, I think the one that I appreciate the most might be, um, my input strength. I agree. I appreciate and input was my number one. And I appreciate that one the most too, because it does it. It's my, my willingness and desire to deep dive and learn and grow like that. I really do feel like I hone in on that. Mm -hmm. But um, the one that I do love the most is the ideation. Yes. That's the one that I think I saw the least in myself. When I originally took the test over time, I have come to see it 
but I was really shocked that that was in my top five. And I, for, it took a while for me to start to notice that in me. Which is interesting because of the futuristic. I feel like those go hand in yeah. hand together. Now I totally see how they do. Yeah. They do go hand in hand, I feel. And the other thing that you have listed mm-hmm. is, and this is what we are going to focus on today, yes. is that you and the Enneagram are a number nine, otherwise known as the peacemaker. Yes, I am a type nine, the peacemaker. And Lisa, do you want to share your type? (laughs) (laughs) I am, for all those who have met me, will not be surprised that I am eight (laughs) and the challenger. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My older brother is a type eight. And when I was first learning about the Enneagram, I was like, oh, this is exactly like now this is why he is who he is and all these things. Um, And as I started to get, more into the Enneagram and learn about each type deeper. I will honestly say the type eight has been one of my favorite types to learn about. Oh, that's yeah. there's cool. like the secret side of them that you don't really know until you kind of do a little bit more. This is degrading. true. This yeah. is very true. Once you crack yeah. the code of the eight, then you'll be like, oh, they are way more sensitive than I realized. Yep. <laughs> so let's actually deep dive into the Enneagram a little bit more. So first and foremost, I would love to know what steered you towards the Enneagram first, the Clifton, or what's the Meyer Briggs is the other one. What made you hone in on the Enneagram that you did utilize your input strength and deep dove into it and even became certified? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've actually have always been obsessed with personality tests in general. Yeah. Um, when I was in high school, I would go to all these leadership conferences connected to my school and I was obsessed with any leadership test I could get my hands on. Um, and I started, I learned about the Enneagram when I was trying to figure out what I wanted my major to be actually. Oh. And Yeah. So that's how I came upon it. And I will honestly say I tested originally, I think first it was a type nine, but then shortly after that, I retested and got a type seven. Um, But then for a long time, I thought maybe I was a type four. So I tell people it really took me like six months to fully decide what and come to terms with, okay, I am a hundred percent a type nine. Um, and really that happened because I listened to a podcast and the words that they were using to describe like the feelings and the thoughts of a type nine were felt so accurate and true to who I was. Um, and so it really took that long. And I actually like to tell people too, that learning your type isn't just about taking one test. Um, it's really a journey that you're going on because it, it's a lot of work to dive deep into yourself and reflect and understand your behaviors and these patterns, right? It doesn't just happen through a test. So let's start off with the nine then and describe what the okay. nine is. Yeah, the type nine, um, if you look at the regular kind of picture or um image, the symbol of the Enneagram, the type nine sits at the top of that symbol. And really they say it sits at the top because the type nine's strength, 
which can also be the type nine's weakness, um, is that they relate to all of the types more than they actually relate to themselves. Um, and th- so this is also can connect back to why I had a hard time concluding that. I was about to that. say, that's ironic. That's yeah. why. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that is totally why. Um, so it is kind of the nine superpower to see all perspectives and where everyone's coming from. So what were the moments when you when you did your six months of reflection of where you found yourself on the paradigm? Like, where is it that, how, what were the experiences that like really, besides the podcast that, that made you think back and say, Hey, yeah, I'm a nine. I'm, I'm not the four, like I'm a nine. So the thing, um, that I love about the Enneagram is that it's really taking you deeper beyond the surface of your behaviors that you see on the outside. So the best way I like to describe this is it's very similar to um, an iceberg example. So on top of the iceberg is what people see us to be from the outside, right? You're extroverted, introvert, I'm introverted, this and that, right? The Enneagram and how you truly discover your type is what's sitting underneath those behaviors. So what is the root motivation and fear behind my behaviors? Um, And so Lisa, you and I, although we're different types, we could have a very similar behavior to a situation, but why I am reacting that way is different than why you are. And so that's what you're trying to figure out. Um, And so to answer your question, I related to a lot of the above the iceberg behaviors of a type seven or a type four. I related to um, kind of the adventurous side of a type seven and always wanting to be on the go. I related to more of the deeper aspects of the type four, wanting to have deep conversations with people and, um, kind of seeing the beauty of life, but it was the deep motivation and fear, which for a type nine, it is to maintain and kind of create inner peace with them. And so they do that by creating outside peace in their environments or within their relationships. So it's that kind of then creates this avoidance of um, confrontations or problems, if you will. And so it was really that that I started to maybe notice in myself. What's the rarest? Do you know? The rarest type? Yeah. Is there I, so there's so many different answers you could get to that online. What I've personally noticed from teaching classes is I see the least um, type fives and type fours. Okay. Yes. So my husband, I have diagnosed him. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) As as a type five. So you have me, that's a type eight. um, Okay. And I'm sure you'll confirm that eights have an abundance of energy. Yes. Um, and type fives do not. Correct. Uh, <laughs> so, so you have this dynamic between the two of us of while the moment I'm up, I'm like, all right, let's have these conversations. Let's, let's deep dive into a million different things. What do you got going on? And he's like, back it down. I've, it's only been an hour since I've been up and I'm still digesting and reading. And really what he's doing is storing mm-hmm. his energy before he has to leave for work. Mm-hmm. 
That is a great way to describe a type five. (laughs) Type fives are motivated by actually two things. So they want to gain a lot of knowledge, Mm -hmm. but another one of their motivations is to maintain their energy throughout the day. Um, and then a type eight, their motivation really is to actually kind of be in control of their own destiny. Um, they don't want other people to control them. That's not to say that they want to control other people. It's they have this strong desire that everyone in the world should be in control of their own destiny, if you will. Oh, a hundred percent. I am one of those people. And, and I believe that I can help aid them Mm -hmm. to, to make getting that control for themselves. But I would never want to, there's just there. I'm like, there's just not enough time and, and there's not, and I don't want to, I want to help support you, but I do not want to control you. That's because that goes against everything we inherently believe. Right. I think that is a misconception of the eight too. And again, this is why learning about the eight has been one of my favorite things. Um, from the outside, it can seem that way that maybe eights are controlling or, you know, they have a certain energy, but it really, at the end of the day, all of the types, their behaviors and their motivations is their perspective of like, what's the right thing to do or right. What's the best way to kind of live in this world. Yeah. The first time I read up on an eight, I, I was I was almost scared of myself. I was like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like me. I, I'm not that type of person, but then I started to pay attention to, like you said, how we inwardly react to things. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is true. If, If I feel that, that someone is trying to control me, that is definitely a fear motivator for me to then back away like as quickly as I can from that person or aggressively ask them to get out of my space. (laughs) But, um, but, and I've also noticed that my directness as an eight, so um, eights are very, we're very rooted in honesty and, and being direct with people. So, softness in that directness does not come easy to us because then we feel like we're not actually being then fully honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's one of the beautiful things about the Enneagram too, is because again, from the outside, if I didn't, if I wasn't self-aware and I didn't make the time to learn about other types of personalities or Um, I think that reaction or that behavior, maybe your directness or honesty, whatever um, it looks like, would maybe make me feel right. I would maybe get defensive or I would not want to be your friend, right? (laughs) All those things. Um, But understanding and learning about the Enneagram just helps kind of create this emotional awareness for ourselves and for other people. So now I can meet you and understand that you're coming from a good place in your honesty and directness, and I can better understand how to communicate with you. And you can do the same with me, right? So it just helps people get along better together. I I think that is my favorite thing about the Enneagram versus all the other personality tests is that it does give you that opportunity to understand other individuals and then respecting them. And which again, 
with with being direct and and being the personality type of the eight, I do take in consideration when I am then speaking with a four um, that might be intimidated or or put put off by my by my personality. So I try to adapt it to make sure that if I'm trying to relay a message that needs to be received, that I'm relaying it in a way that they can hear it. A hundred percent. It's all about then creating this relationship management. Yes. I, I love it so much. So, (laughs) so we started off with the nine. We definitely talked about the eight as well. Now explain the ones. Okay. Type one is called typically the perfectionist. Um, There's different, depending on what your, what site you're learning about the Enneagram from, you'll hear different names. Um, But the perfectionist is the one that I use type ones really to quickly describe them. They have this really strong moral compass and they are on a mission to be good and do the right thing. And just that, like do good. Their fear is opposite. So they don't want to be bad, do something that was wrong. Um, They also have this kind of inner duty that it is their responsibility to fix situations that feel wrong or bad. So, and this looks different for everyone, right? We know that there's not just nine types of people in the world. So how this shows up for everyone is very unique. Um, But a quick example is a type one could walk into a room and notice a broken light bulb and they would immediately feel like, oh, it's my responsibility to kind of fix that, make it better, make it right. Or another type one could walk into a room and see two people fighting and they're like, oh, that doesn't look right. And they feel it's their responsibility to fix that situation, make it better, make it good, if that makes sense. So what about the twos? Yes. I feel like I'm surrounded by twos. Oh, interesting. I would say I am also surrounded by twos. There's a lot of type twos who work at House of Shine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. The type two is typically called the helper. Um, And they are, they, their kind of motivation, if you will, is to help other people because that is kind of what fulfills them in life. They're very, very good at it. It's almost this natural intuitiveness about them. So they kind of just naturally have a sense of, ooh, that person might be cold. I think they need a blanket. Or that person looks stressed. I think they need someone to talk to. Um, So they're very empathetic and kind of have this intuitiveness of what people need. Um, I think because of this, though, twos serve other people so much that sometimes they forget to to serve themselves. And so that's part of kind of the work that they're that they're on for themselves. And now we're on to the threes in which at one point in time, I did think I was a three. I can see how you would have thought that. Um, So a type three is the achiever. And they, their motivation is to succeed, be successful, get things done. Um, they're really, I would say probably type threes can be the, one of the most successful types on the Enneagram. They have this natural sense of knowing how to get to where they want to go. Um, because of this, I've heard them not in a negative way, but they can almost be chameleon-like. 
And so if you're a type three and depending on what success looks like to you, because again, that's different for every, every type three, but if you're a type three and you're with a group of people and you need to make, let's say a sale and you feel, Ooh, for me to accomplish this, I need to be Dallas Cowboys fans. Cause that's what everyone in this room is. And that's not <laughs> them like me, they just know how to kind of blend in yeah. and, of accomplish what um how to get to their goal is really what their superpower is mm-hmm. and now we're on to the four yeah type four so type four is another one of my favorite types to learn about um and so right now we're kind of going down this like the enneagram symbol so type nine is at the very top and then one two three type four is down here Um, Another comment really fast, types two, threes, and fours are in the heart center. So they make decisions and kind of see the world in that way. Um, Type fours are the most kind of sitting in the, at the bottom of the circle, they're kind of the deepest, most connected to the heart center. They are extremely empathetic. Um, they want to have really deep conversations. A type four is maybe the person, if you just met them, where they tell you your, their entire life story. Um, and then they want to hear yours, right? Um, another thing about fours is they really, so their motivation is to be unique or have this like unique, significant um, kind of purpose in the world. And so their fear is not having that. So they're kind of always looking for like, what is my thing? What am I supposed to be doing? Um, They look at life kind of like through a kaleidoscope, if you will. So they can see all of these. It's really connected back to emotions. Mm -hmm. So they can be sad for a couple of days and they believe that's part of the beauty of life. They can be mad and they're okay with that, right? Versus other types will just like suppress their sadness or they want to avoid those negative emotions. Type fours are okay to sit in them. I have a friend who exudes four out of his pores. And I I absolutely, I love meeting with him for coffee because I know the conversations are going to be intense and they're going mm-hmm. to be deep. I love his openness. Um, It allows for space for me to be open as well. And he asks the questions because he truly wants to know. And and it is true for him when he he has the emotions, the sadness, the happiness, um, the anger. He always looks at those moments as time to reflect and learn. Mm-hmm. And, and there's such a beauty in the four. I can see why people desire to be in that space, mm-hmm. but no doubt their heart leads them. No doubt in my mind. A hundred percent. Yeah. And that is um, really everything that you just said also is one of my, one of the reasons why I love learning about the four, just they have a different, different view on life. That's pretty cool. And then yeah. we get to, and then we get to the mind people, the ones that are yes. all all thought. <laughs> yes. So types five, six, and seven are in the head center. Um, the type five is again, if you're kind of thinking of 
this circle, if you will. So type four is down at the bottom of the circle. And then there's kind of this gap. And then there's the type five. So type five is kind of sitting the deepest in their head center. Um, type fives, I think we talked about it a little bit because of your, um, your husband, but they have a need to gain knowledge and to conserve energy. Another thing about the type fives is they want to be an expert in something very specific and maybe undiscovered yet. So they don't just want to gain a lot of knowledge and just be a regular doctor or gain a lot of knowledge and be a business person. They want to kind of discover something new and go very, very deep in it. Um, they want to be an expert in their field. They are probably one of the most introverted of all the types. And then again, since they're in the deepest in the head center, one thing about the type fives is they still have a very, their inner world is, can be full of emotions, but they are very uncomfortable in that. So kind of think of like a pendulum, they'll maybe start to swing into the heart center and they feel like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. And they'll go all the way back up (laughs) and just sit in the head center. Yeah. And then we have our sixes. Type six is called the loyalist. Okay. They are, um, Type six, a fun way to describe a fun like story, a way to describe them is a type six. If I am meeting you for the first time, Lisa, I might be a little skeptical. Like, who are you? I wouldn't um, believe you. Why are you talking? <laughs> and I don't really know you yet. So I don't know if I fully trust you. I don't know who you are. I don't know what your agenda is. But as soon as I get to know you and we become friends, then I'm like, I will be the glue to the relationship. So they will be loyal for life. Um, They're very trustworthy. Another thing about type sixes is they are, sometimes people will um, say they can be like a devil's advocate. So they can look at a situation and understand where are the gaps? What are the questions that need to be asked? What are the worst case scenarios that could happen? And they want to, and they usually have one, a backup plan for those kind of gaps, if you will. Yeah. Now, the fun one, I always feel like the seven is the one that is considered the most fun. Type seven is definitely the most fun. (laughs) Um, The type seven is typically called the enthusiast. And that is literally their motivation. It is to have fun, be fulfilled, be happy. Um, They want to avoid pain. So type sevens are one of the types that really will push down and avoid any sadness or uncomfortable things that are coming in their life. A good way to describe them is they are, imagine like someone on a bike or on a skateboard. They're always on the go finding new projects, new things to keep their mind occupied. This is one of their behaviors that allows them to not stop and be present and maybe see some of the uncomfortable things that have happened or could be happening in their life. Um, So they're always on the go. They want to be happy. They're probably the best storytellers. Um, And another fun thing about type sevens is they most likely have FOMO. So they don't want to miss out on any of the excitement. They want to be involved. I have a friend who's definitely a seven as well. And she is 
a ton of fun to hang out with. And she really, truly does have the best stories. And her life is insanely busy, like with active things to do all the time to the point that as, as much energy as I have, I do not have FOMO if I miss out on things. I'm yeah, me either. <laughs> I'm totally okay with that. Maybe when I was younger, I cared more, but now, right. now I'm like, nope, I can't do it. I think that's one yeah. of the reasons I knew I was not a seven is because I certainly do not get FOMO. I am happy hanging out at my house. <laughs> and we did not mention about the about the eight, nine, and the one, mm-hmm. which is interesting to me that it's the eight, nine, and one that are your gut triad. Yeah. So they are in the body center, the gut triad. So they make decisions and see the world more through their natural gut instinct. Um, Another thing about that triad is that they have... um, They want autonomy in life and they want... They're more of your... I would say moral, like they have this focus on what's right and wrong, what's good and bad a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I noticed with the house of shine that you do, you do have an eight. Um, I believe you have a five. Actually, I think you're the fearless leader, Claudia Beanie. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And then you have, you have your sevens and you have your nines and definitely a lot of twos Mm. when you're working together with one another do you find yourself especially because you're also knowledgeable about your own self-awareness so when you guys are working together do you know like if you're paired up for a working and facilitating an event or developing a new program do you do you find yourselves connecting and working with to make sure that you have someone who is in each of the triads. So then you're working through and processing through and really thinking things through instead of like, if you had honestly an entire team of sevens Mm -hmm. that are enthusiasts that are trying to avoid ever seeing the bad and, and being aware of the things that could come up because they're just like, Hey, if we just keep going, then, then we'll be fine. Everything will be fine. We don't have to think about raising dollars for this project because it'll be fine. We'll just, we'll just implement it and not worry about it. Like, do you, you guys, how do you guys utilize the knowledge that you have with the Enneagram and incorporate to make sure those programs and facilitated events are, are rolling successfully? I think so. We definitely talk about it all the time um, here. I think how it shows up and where I see us notice it more is really when it relates to how each type is showing up in a stressful situation or when they're feeling really confident and they're kind of in this growth mindset, if you will. Um, And so that's another kind of pattern in the Enneagram, which is that each type kind of borrows different behaviors from different types 
when they are in stress or in growth. So within the Enneagram circle, you'll see all these connections, if you will. Um, And so Lisa, you're a type eight. So in growth, you take on the positive behaviors of a type two. And in stress, you will naturally more take on the negative characteristics of the type five. Oh, 100%. A hundred percent. I go with my heart or I go with logic. Yep. So in stress, you'll maybe retreat more and go inward, which is probably what people aren't used to seeing in you. Um, And in growth, you really can be more, you can tap in more to your vulnerable side um, and more of lean in more into the two, if you will. Um, So you'll be maybe a little bit less guarded. Um, so I think to answer your question too, I think I see it show up more in that I, it's easier for us to quickly understand when someone is stressed and what's happening when they're in stress. And so if someone is reacting a certain way, now I can understand, Ooh, okay, this is the pattern. What's happening. Yep. They're feeling this way. This is their reaction. It's that's their natural instinct behavior. And I can better understand how to, again, relationship manage, how to approach them, help them solve their problem, or then I don't get defensive and be like, oh, why is this person yelling <laughs> or why did they say that? Um, so I think that's how it helps. Why, haven't, why haven't they showed up? Or <laughs> yeah, what's going Why aren't they communicating right now? They normally communicate a lot. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. So I think that is how we use it the most. Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself outside of the house of shine when you're interacting with your friends, other relationships, incorporating the Enneagram? Yeah, I, well, I think because I'm such a nerd about it, I want like all my friends to know what type they are. Um, I can say though, because, and I think this is why I like to emphasize that discovering your type is really a journey. There are certain people in my life who I am so close with that I call this kind of like, it's kind of like this extra little bubble that you enter where your natural behaviors that connect to what the Enneagram would say about your type maybe start to look different. So very specifically, my best, best friend, I have yet to determine what her type is. And this has been years and years of me trying to figure that out. Um... And so there are situations like that. And the only way really for that to happen is if she took the time to really go on that Enneagram journey herself and do the reading and take the classes and the tests and kind of go on that journey, if you will. Um, But other than that, I can pretty much always see the patterns in people. So what do you think about the Enneagram and the application of when we bring up our past memories Mm -hmm. and that being so deep rooted of who we become as adults, as childhood experiences, that it's usually the negative of the childhood experience that we have that puts us in this space on the paradigm that we are at now. Yeah. So um, I actually love talking about this. Um, It's really just how your personality develops too, right? Um, And you have all of the nine types within you of the Enneagram. Um, Each of the nine types connects back to 
almost like a childhood wound, if you will. So certain types may be growing up, they didn't feel safe enough. And so their behavior adapt to make them feel safer or certain types maybe didn't feel heard enough. And so then their personality adapts in that way too. Um, Though the experiences as a kid could be traumatic, that doesn't mean that they always are and that your parents did a bad job raising you, right? It's kind of just, uh, this kind of connects back then to your um, nature, who you naturally are. So you could have two identical twins enter the world, same parents, they are on the same soccer team, they have very similar experiences, but one twin is going to naturally interpret the world in one way, the other twin is going to naturally interpret the world the other way. And that is then how their personality forms, if you will. Um, It can be uncomfortable kind of going back to your childhood and notice, noticing some of those things though. Another thing that said about the Enneagram is when you really find your type, you are going to read things that make you feel a little uncomfortable. It's like, oh, how do they know that about me? Or do I really do that? Um, it's definitely deeper than reading your horoscope on a daily basis. Yes. Although I do enjoy, deeper than that. I, I do enjoy that as well. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> okay. So the last question I'm going to ask you is as, as being so community fo- focused that you are like, how, mm-hmm. how do you and house of shine apply the Enneagram to your community to help them grow? Ooh, that's such a good question. Um, I'll connect it back to just the personal programs that I focus on, which actually is um, related a lot to students. So one of the programs that we do here is the Leadership Institute, um, and that's for high schoolers. And really, um, you don't want to take the Enneagram test too young or start learning about your type too young because you're not fully developed yet, right? So it's not, you you won't find the answer yet. Um, But for students who are older, I think finding their type is a great way for them to best make decisions for themselves. So another thing that we say at House of Shine is really our focus with community is to create not just people who are self-aware and can then contribute back to their community, but it's really kind of, this world of creating great decision makers. Mm -hmm. So when I'm self-aware, I can better make decisions for myself, where I fit in, what environments allow me to use my strengths, what type of people I want to hang out with. And that then creates an environment where I can show up as my best self. And that makes me a better contributor in that corner of the world, right? So same with everyone, uh, you know, any other student as they're growing up, if they have more knowledge of self, they can make better decisions for themselves. Um, You know, who they want to marry, what job they want, right. It just creates happier, more fulfilled people. I completely agree. And I do love the fact too, like you mentioned before, when we are all of us at one point in time are going to be in this space that we feel stressed Mm -hmm. and we are not being the best of what we can be. And I love the self-awareness component of this, that, that if you know, and you, you know, the components of those stressors and your reactions based upon the inner, our inner selves, Mm -hmm. then that helps us acknowledge what's going on in our bodies, acknowledge how we then are outwardly reacting to things. 
to then hone in on what is creating that stressor for us mm-hmm. and then know how to actually communicate and guide to get out of that space and put it, put us back to our best selves. Move me from the five over back over to the two. A hundred percent. Lisa, if you don't mind, I'll share some resources that I think can help people discover I, their type. I was just about to ask yeah. you. Yeah, okay, I love that. Um, and again, if you are having trouble deciding what type you are, just give yourself grace. Reminder that it's a journey. So it takes time to start to kind of notice these patterns in yourself. Um, some of my favorite resources are the Enneagram Institute is my number one favorite. Um, They have a lot of information that you can just read for free. So I would recommend doing that. They have a lengthier test that I believe cost money. Um, I don't know if I would fully recommend that. What I would recommend is their, um, their quest test. So it's a quick Enneagram sorting test. You can find that free online. Um, some of my other favorite resources are the art of growth is another. Oh my gosh. I love, love, love that book. Yes. I love them. Um, so they have a really great podcast as well that I would recommend listening to. And, um, they explain more about the patterns within the Enneagram and they have different podcasts on each type. So that's great. Um, And then my last recommendation is the podcast that I listened to that helped kind of solidify what type I was. And it is called the Sleeping at Last podcast. So Sleeping at Last is actually a a musician, a singer-songwriter, if you will. And he wrote a song for each Enneagram type uh, quite a few years back, which is just fun. Um, And then he did a podcast talking about each song that he created, the lyrics, how he came up with the lyrics, what they mean, the instruments, and just all the meaning behind each of the types. Um, He interviews an author. The author is maybe slightly, I don't don't know if I would recommend the author, but the (laughs) advice that he shares is um, awesome. And it is really through those podcasts. There's just so much good information on there. And it was really through that, that I was like, oh, I'm a hundred percent type nine. Um, they're just very long. So you'll need a good chunk of time to listen to each of those. That's, I am definitely going to listen to that podcast because I have mm-hmm. not heard that podcast before. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing that he was a musician that wrote songs based upon the Enneagram. I know it's so fun. Yeah. And he is uh, a type nine. So I think maybe his then type nine song in the podcast around how he wrote that, I felt extra, extra connected to. The only other resource that I would add to that would be the Cloverleaf. A hundred percent. Um, And that is something that you could even, in which they do, um, they have of course, at a, at a fee, they have an entire platform that you can incorporate depending on how many people that you work with, or if you want to throw your relationships in there, you can, but, um, but there are ways that you're with the Cloverleaf platform able to add people in and their personality types 
And that also helps out to streamline when it comes to problem solving and working on bigger projects um, and knowing where people are too, um, of what their levels are that day to be able to help manage. Um, it is very key to understand an understanding that utilizing these resources and these personality tests are not for controlling reasons by any means. And it's just to help aid and support. So you're leading people in the right direction, the best way that they will receive it. Um, and that's really, really what it's about being able to get them to grow um, and getting them to feel in, in their strength. Cause really that's what we're all there for as a facilitator for them to be able to be their best selves. That's awesome. I didn't even know Cloverleaf had that. Um, it's pretty cool. Nice. It's pretty cool. Like I, really it's, cool. it's an intense system. Yeah. But um, once you get it down and it's, and you know how to navigate through, it is pretty cool because then you, you know, like I said before, like you would like on a certain things, you don't necessarily want a bunch of sevens. I think about it when it comes to the, um, that book, what is it? The seven hats, the seven colored hats mm-hmm. of like breaking it down and taking the moments you identify what the meeting is about. You talk about it, like defining it, and then you like give the space for people to talk about some of their concerns regarding regarding the topic. Then you then move on. And the only thing that could be discussed are the positives about the topic. And then, of course, you do the data, the analytics, blah, blah, blah. I know it sounds like a lot, but like really putting the time and effort into it at the forefront usually helps streamline and reduce the amount of issues that occur in in the long run. So 100%. I love that. All right. So thank you so much for for joining us today. It's awesome. That was so fun. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you everyone for listening in to the seed. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, go to dandelion-inc.com and click Let's Connect. And please be sure to subscribe to The Seed's monthly podcast to hear more inspiring stories from other badass women that are all around us. Remember, behind every woman is a tribe of other successful women who have their back. To you all, thank you.